Welcome to the Riverside Project podcast. We are mobilizing Houston to empower families and transform generations. We hope these conversations will give you a greater understanding of the issues facing our community and inspire you to find your place along the river. Today we have Jason Johnson joining us. Jason is a speaker, a writer, former pastor, and church planter. He's also the Director of Church Engagement and Mobilization at the Christian Alliance for Orphans. Jason, thanks for being with us today. Oh, great to be here. Well, let's start off by you telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, um, what you get to do every day. Yeah, so uh, I'm married uh, to my wife, Emily, and we have four daughters at home, and we became foster parents when I was pastoring our church plant uh, in 2012. And I say it this way, it completely rocked our world, ruined our world, and built up a new and better one in the best and most beautiful ways. So our journey began there, and that ultimately led me into a role now with an organization where I get to work with churches and nonprofit organizations, agencies all around the country. So whether it's um, coaching on strategic planning, leadership development, or uh, even strategy of how are we as a church going to engage in this space of caring for vulnerable families and children in our community well? How are we as an organization going to do that? And then yeah. collectively together, how are we going to do that together in collaboration and in partnership with one another? One of the reasons we wanted to have you on was because you've been an instrumental role in getting the Riverside Project off the ground. Um, but the idea of the river, um, the Riverside Project, really came from a parable that you mentioned in your book, Everyone Can Do Something. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about why you found or how you found that parable and yeah. then why it was so such a big piece of this whole foster care continuum. Yeah, that's such a good question. And I've actually been racking my brain recently trying to figure out where did I first come across this, this word picture, this parable, as you say. And frankly, I don't remember. I feel like I've seen it in a couple of different places or elements of it. I think on social media, maybe probably the most shared uh, meme about this online is a attributed to a guy named Desmond Tutu, who many might be familiar with, and where he talks about um, at some point we've got to stop just pulling people out of the river, and we need to go figure out how they got in there in the first place right. and stop that. And so these ideas are out there in a number of different ways. There's an interesting book that uh, I know that you both, both you and I have read called Upstream um, that really speaks about this. But it struck me, this word picture, this parable of three different people in engaging in this river where they're seeing people flowing down the river, but engaging in this river in three very different points, but all for the same purpose. Mm -hmm. The purpose being we want to get and keep as many people out of the water as possible. And so the first guy jumping in in the middle because there's there's people flowing by him and, and there's a crisis right in front of him. And it's right and necessary for us to say there's a problem right in front of us somebody needs to do something. Right. Another guy running downstream because he recognizes the further downstream they make it, the worse it's going to be. There's a, there's a waterfall, a cliff coming, and, and we need to prevent that. And then the third guy asking the question, well, how is all this happening in the first place? How are people getting in the water? And I want to run upstream and figure out what's happening there and see if there's something that we can do about it. And I just came across this idea and thought, if that's it. Mm -hmm. That's really it. Um, yep. 
And personally, to be honest, so much of our early journey in the foster care space was fairly isolated to this midstream perspective. And that's okay. Uh, The idea that there's kids that need homes, temporary homes, safe places to live, and somebody needs to be willing to step into the river at that point. And that was our entry point, and, and it was good. And then immediately we began to become aware of the fact that while we stepped into this story at a particular point, there is so much more to right. this story mm-hmm. before it and after it. And I just felt like this word picture, this parable, really illustrates it well. And every time that we have talked about it, every time we've posted something, I mean, the river, the video that we mm-hmm. created, everyone that watches it essentially comes back and says, this is it. Yeah. This is what I see, not just in a parable picture, but this is what I see happening in our city every single day. Whether I work with an agency or I'm a foster parent or I work at a group home or I work in poverty or I work in an anti-trafficking movement, it's all there along the river and it gives people those connection points. This is something that is not an isolated issue. Foster care, as we talk about a lot, is not an isolated problem. Mm -hmm. It's intricately connected to many different social issues. And so all of the people in foster care can do their thing, but we also have to recognize how it connects to those other things. And if we don't, if we miss the connections, we never make long-term sustainable change. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And the number of aha moments that have happened as we've shared this word picture, you just, you can see it in in the faces of people where they say, they think, "Ah, yes, this is it. I've, I've sensed this. I have felt this but I haven't been able to articulate it. And we have found that this very simple word picture acts as a really helpful clarifying tool for people who then are able to say, okay, this makes sense to me. Now what do we do with it? It brings to to life that idea that anyone can find a place, right? There is room for every person in our community to find a meaningful place, not just a place, but a meaningful place um, where we're able to collectively step in, pull kids and families out and really stabilize them on the side. There's a, it it creates this beautiful vision for a collective effort. Absolutely. And so one of the things that I get to share everywhere I go around the country is this idea that everyone can do something in Mm -hmm. foster care. You're exactly right. What the river does is it expands that everyone can do something to the broader continuum. And we've even seen this in our own personal journey. Um, Several years ago, my wife and I began to bring in some young moms in crisis with their Mm -hmm. little ones into our home. And one of them in particular um, was a 17-year-old girl and her newborn little baby. And um, obviously my parents um, saw what we were doing appreciated what we were doing, loved what we were doing, and and helped as much as they could from a distance. But it also spurred something in them. Right. Um, it, it And what it spurred in them was not, oh, you know what, Jason and Emily are bringing in a, a teenage girl in foster care and her little baby. I guess that means we should too. No, what it actually mm-hmm. spurred in my mom in particular was, there's a young mom in crisis, and I want to look around my city in Dallas, where she lives, and find places and people that are serving young moms in crisis. And I want to go partner with what they're doing. And it was just a really beautiful picture of here my wife and I are engaging at a particular point Mm -hmm. in the river. And then my parents, empty nester age, uh, see what we're doing and 
um, their application is we're actually going to find a, another mm-hmm. part of the river to engage in. And it's a really beautiful way for us to say, look, we may be doing different things, but we're all part of the same thing. And we're all working towards the same goal to get and keep as many people out of the water as possible. And I think that that speaks to that idea of going upstream, right? It's mm-hmm. not a destination. It's just the way, the direction that we're pointing. We can continue to foster or step in in the time mm-hmm. of crisis, and we should, and there should be people doing that. But what if we could always kind of have that, have that mindset of what got them here, um, and how do we put a stop to that so mm-hmm. that we don't end up in this situation next time? Oh. Um, so there's this that beautiful picture. And I think that this this kind of points us in the direction of if we have this river and we have this picture of what it looks like to intervene there, what it requires, if we do have this vision for hundreds of churches and nonprofits and businesses, all and passionate individuals, all finding their place along the river, that requires that we work together because Mm -hmm. then we can no longer work in silos. It's not just one organization here intervening and another person downstream intervening. If we actually know who's along the river and how we can share resources and do it collectively, then we really get to maximize our impact. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I want to talk to you a little bit about why is collaboration such an integral part of that equation and how do we, what's the secret sauce in creating that in an urban context like Houston? Yeah, yeah. Why is collaboration so important in the secret sauce? I think primarily because it exponentially multiplies impact, that we Mm -hmm. can do more together than we ever could on our own, Um, that my best efforts individually might get us to a C plus, but collectively, and if we were doing a group project, you know, uh, in high school, a science project, let's say, trust me, my best efforts in that science class would get us to a C, C plus, maybe. But I would need someone like you to come alongside me and others within the group, because collectively, our efforts could could land us at an A. And um, I think we have a lot of organizations doing a lot of great work and excelling in a lot of wonderful, beautiful places. And they're doing some A plus work. But if we had some honest conversations, we could also say, here's where we really believe we do an A plus job. And then here's where we're doing a B or C mm-hmm. plus job. And and what if it were the case, and I believe that it is the case often, that there are other organizations and entities in our cities around us that in those areas where we might be pulling off a C or a B, they're knocking it out of the park. Mm -hmm. And for us to collectively come together, and so often in collaboration, we tend to lead with the question, what should we do together? Let's get in a room and talk about some things we can do together. And we like to suggest an alternative leading question when it comes to collaboration. Rather than what should we do together, maybe the first question should be, hey, now that we're together, what should I stop doing? Mm-hmm. What what are, what am I doing a C plus job at that you're doing an A plus job at? And maybe that frees me up from the burden of trying or feeling the need to do that. And I'm going to lean into your expertise and we're going to collaborate together. And all that that's going to do is multiply mm-hmm. our impact because we'll be more efficient. We'll be more coordinated. Uh, we'll be less burdened with things that maybe aren't in our specialty or aren't in the area of primary focus, and we'll be able to really be focused on those things that are most important for us to do. That requires a lot. Yes. And it's not it's something we see every day. Very right? easy to say, yes. So what, is it, what does it require? <clears throat> yeah. How do we get there? 
I get to work with a guy who reminds me of this often. I hear him say it in different contexts. And every time I hear him say it, I think, yes, it's, it's so true and it's so right. He says it this way. He says, you know, organizations don't collaborate with one another. People do. So an, in, an agency and an agency or a church and an organization or a government office and a church, these entities don't collaborate with each other. People do. Yeah. And people represent those entities and those churches and those organizations. But people, human relationships mm -hmm. is, is what forges collaboration. And at the heart of that is trust, is relational trust. And so, so often our organizations tend to get together. We lead with the question, what should we do with, e mm -hmm. with one another? We, we like come up with a service project or an activity or an event that we'll do together or we theorize about what it might look like if we were unified. And, and then, then spin there. Yeah, and then we spin there and then we're like, oh guys, I gotta get back to the office. And then we all go back to our offices and we do our own thing. And perhaps we need to do the hard work of learning to trust each other and getting to know each other and hearing each other's stories. And so I'll give an example. Not long ago, I was in, um, a city in another state, and we had around the table some heads of several larger, main, kind of well-known nonprofit organizations working in the foster care space. And these organizations were friendly, but they had a history of really not mm -hmm. working together. And the crux of the conversation was, what's it going to take? What would have to what what would it take for us to work together? And I just got to sit and listen and kind of help facilitate and they spent a long time talking about what's next, what's the next steps, what's the next steps, how do we actually mm -hmm. do this, um, what do we do with each other next? And someone, a very wise person, that her job in the room was she was taking notes and she was listening and uh, really wasn't participating, just helping to take notes. She said probably the most profound, wise, simplest thing that was said the whole day. She said, you know what, guys, I, I actually feel like maybe the best thing that you can do next is not do anything, just spend time together. Just like yeah. have lunch and then have lunch again together and then have coffee and then maybe go out with your wives together. Like just get to be friends mm -hmm. and just build that relational trust and that equity. And there was the sense in the room uh, that you felt where it just felt like, yeah, that feels right. We just need to get to know each other and yeah. learn to trust each other. Organizations don't collaborate. People do. People require trust. Um, what's your motive? What's your agenda? What's your bottom line? And the more that we have clarity on I can trust all mm -hmm. of those things in you, the more I feel like I'm able to come to the table, drop my guard a little bit, uh, receive from you, freely give to you, and now we're in this give and receive mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah, I think one of the key things that you mentioned was listening. Mm -hmm. I don't think in our in our day and age, especially if you turn on the news or whatever, it's not something that we as a society want to do is to listen to someone else. We're just ready to speak mm -hmm. or we have an idea about what people need. And so we just do it. Um, and so there is this aspect of listening to one another that's important and also listening to our community yeah. of like, what is the actual need here rather than creating theories about, oh, we're just going to do this new program or this is right. what the... the new thing is, what the data is showing today, 
we need sustainability. Yeah. And I think we get to sustainability by listening to the community and taking a bigger picture yeah. of what's happening. And we can't absolutely. do it in isolation. Oh, absolutely. We, we often say it this way um, with organizations and churches that we work with is there's a difference between talking about the people you're going to serve and talking to the people you're going to serve. Right. And we tend to maybe err on the side of, we do a lot of talking about what we're mm -hmm. going to do and who we're going to do it for, perhaps to the neglect of um, spending enough time talking to those people right. and listening to them and learning from them uh, and really understanding who they are, where they are, and how we can best come alongside them. And there's, there's a power issue at play there mm -hmm. oftentimes where maybe an entity, an organization, a church unknowingly kind of swoops in and says, here's what we want to do for you. Right. And the recipients of that in a particular community might feel like these people, this entity is in a position of more power than I am. I'm afraid mm -hmm. to say no to them. I'm afraid yeah. to say that's not actually what we need because it might turn them off from ever wanting to do anything for us again. Uh, and organizations don't really realize sometimes the power that they hold in right. that position. And so one of the things that we want to do to help facilitate collaboration and trust is to, to draw that power dynamic out mm -hmm. and say, be very aware of the tendency unknowingly sometimes yeah. to position yourself in a place of power and be very proactive to transfer that power. Yeah. To say to, to the recipients of your work, to those that you're wanting to serve, hey, we want to put the power in your hands and we mm -hmm. want to learn from and listen to you. The position of power rests in you and we want to come alongside and serve you yeah. in the best ways that we can. Yeah, and that really, I think that's for the Riverside Project, why we want to hyper-focus in individual neighborhoods mm -hmm. rather than in a, in a large context like Houston saying there's... 3,000 kids in foster care, but in a particular community, if we really listen to that community, mm -hmm. we hear what the needs are and who the players are yeah. that can come to the table. And so we we do get to kind of have this um, this idea of, of coming up underneath them and shepherding them into that yeah. and strengthening them by providing resources. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think the beauty that comes out of that is unity. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that kind of leads us to, I, I want to make sure your your title is the Director of Church Engagement and Mobilization. We haven't really talked about the church. Um, we've talked about organizations mm -hmm. and, and some of that. And so I want to make sure that we spend a little bit of time talking about what is the role of the church in all of this? And and how has or has not the church stepped into that role in a meaningful way? Or how could the church step into that role in a meaningful way in such a broad, complicated system? I think um, we are moving into a space now where we are understanding that perhaps some of our language in the past around this space and some of our posture in the past towards this space, again, while well-intentioned, maybe was not as effective as mm -hmm. we would want it to be. For example, it has often been suggested, and I get the sentiment, that the church, the church is the solution. Mm -hmm. And to that, we would say, I get what you're saying, but let's be very careful with mm -hmm. the hubris associated with that statement. Uh, because perhaps what's more accurate is for us to say the church is a big part of the solution. Yeah. And to your point, 
understanding the context in which we're working and who the players and the stakeholders are. Uh, imagine a, a round table in each community and around that table were key significant stakeholders who, if collectively brought together in collaboration, could mm -hmm. really act as the solution to the problems in their community. I would suggest that the church holds a seat at that table among many other key mm -hmm. stakeholders, yeah. which could include organizations, agencies, government offices, education, medical, mm -hmm. all, all kinds of, of key players. And so the question then becomes, what does then the church bring to that table? Right. And what we would bring to that table, I would suggest first is a belief in a God who's able to take really hard, difficult, broken things and bring restoration and renewal. And we are participating with him in the renewal of all things. That's right. our, that's our, that's our life. That's our hope. Uh, we also bring a host of people represented in our churches that can act as uh, those who are mobilized to serve mm -hmm. in a variety of capacities. And we bring a, a, a humility to the table that says we're here to learn, to listen, and then to act in the most effective and appropriate right. ways. Um, so we are a big part of the solution. Um, what that means is maybe historically we've abdicated our seat at the table. We've said this is a government issue and we're going to let them deal mm -hmm. with it. Uh, and what I'm excited about, frankly, um, we still have a lot of work to do, but yeah. I think you would probably even agree with this in the work here with the Riverside Project. We're seeing more and more and more churches uh, begin to understand this is not this is not an issue that we abdicate. This is mm -hmm. an issue that we 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 do what we can to find our seat at the table, and we participate with all these other stakeholders because we believe that we're a part yeah. of the solution. Um, and so that's exciting. Um, that's where I see the church moving and heading, um, understanding as a church that there are certain responsibilities that we as a church have to shepherd and to pastor our people and to care for our people. And then there's certain things that we simply cannot do. Mm -hmm. For example, we as a church are not a licensing agency. That's just one right. example. We don't license families. We don't manage casework. We don't uh, place kids in foster homes. And right. so just by, by nature of us not being able to do certain things, it requires collaboration. It requires mm -hmm. being a good partner and clarity for what are the things that we as the church can uniquely do and right. are uniquely called to do, and then what are the things that we can't and aren't, and how do we then collaborate with and partner with those other stakeholders so that collectively we can be the solution together. And I think going back to the idea of the river, one of the things that we talk about a lot, especially with the church, because I think sometimes there is this idea, or maybe it's just a reputation, that in order to engage the river, um, we can just kind of pull people out and yeah. not get in. <laughs> and that that is something I, I have seen. Um, I'm seeing a shift in a positive mm -hmm. way um, where we're able to give real handles for how we, how we step into that and how the church can step into it. But I do think it does take this element of, of helping people to understand and churches to understand that we don't fish people out of the river. Right. There is this element of going towards what is uncomfortable sometimes um, and coming out of that insulated um, kind of circle of comfort yeah. and stepping into that. And I know, you know, none of us want to be uncomfortable. Right, yeah. But mm -hmm. if we're going to see our city change, if yeah. we're going to see these things happen together, we all kind of have that responsibility to yeah. move because that's 
how God moved towards us. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And um, now you're starting to step on some toes a little bit when you talk about my com- my need for comfort and right. convenience, you know, because... We all feel that. It's not that, that I'm yeah. saying that I don't... No, no. I just like, really want to jump in the river because it's super fun and it's yeah, what we have to do. Exactly. We all feel and, and you're hitting, averse to it. Yeah, and you're hitting such an important point is there's no rose-colored lenses in this. Like, right. this is real and raw and... Um, you know, I jokingly say you're you're stepping on toes because that's a little bit of what it is. We have to be willing within a church context um, to call out what everyone feels. Yeah. And generally speaking, I would suggest that we 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 live in a culture and in a society that subtly, sometimes overtly, suggests to us, hey, listen, the goal of your life is to set up as comfortable and convenient of a life as you possibly can and to avoid anything that's hard and difficult. And uh, and we go, yeah, that, that feels good. I, I like the idea of that, right? And 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 then now what we're suggesting is actually what if what if we actually became the kind of people that lived a completely flipped narrative and we actually mm-hmm. we we saw and we moved towards these different places along the river and um, one of my favorite writers, a guy named Henry Nowen, talks about compassion and how sometimes we tend to see compassion as pity, like, oh, I feel bad for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw you some breadcrumbs. And, and he says, that's, that is not, that's not the essence of compassion at all. He says, in fact, compassion is, and I'll try not to butcher his words, is seeking out those places where suffering is most acute and building a home there. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that statement that always resonates with me because it's the sense of permanency. Mm-hmm. It's the sense of, this is more than a service project. This is yep. more than a mission trip. This is a complete reorientation. I'm moving in and I'm staying. Um, and this is, as you suggest, what's required in the river. It, it would be so lovely if we could do the hard work of helping people get out of the water without getting wet ourselves. Right. Like that's a dream world, right? It's unfortunate um, that it's not the way Yeah, it's it not the way it is. And very quickly, I'll never forget, even in our own journey, our very first placement coming to our home. And we had a few months leading up to that where we, we anticipated it, we knew it was coming, and we kind of had unknowingly, I think, this idea mm-hmm. that, um, hey, we are now ready to stand on the shore and pull kids out of the river. And then that first night, our first placement was brought to us, a Wednesday night around 7.30, and the screaming little girl is placed in our arms and you can see the exasperation on the caseworker's face who's driven across the city with the screaming girl. And, and realizing in that moment that everything that we thought was going to be happening in terms of us just pulling a child out into our comfortable place, um, it was completely flipped upside down. Yeah. And we realized very quickly that night, this is far less about us pulling a child out of a hard place into a good place. And it's far more about us being willing to be pulled into her hard place and to stay there. Yeah. And that was 10 years ago. And I don't think we've ever gotten out of there. Yeah. Because that's... There's no the, exit ramp There is that. no. You build There's a home not. there. And as my father-in-law says about his house, you're going to bury me in the backyard. I'm not moving, right? Like, this is it. And you know very well, and so do others listening, that once you get pulled in, that's it. Yep. Yeah. And we need we need it. 
the yeah. kids in our city who are vulnerable, the families in our city who yes. are vulnerable, they don't need, like you said, the service project, the one time, the one day, the one thing. Right. They need people. Uh, they need communities who are not going anywhere. Um, and that's, that's it's right. hard and it's messy. Mm-hmm. So as we get to the end of our time, I want to ask the question, if there's someone who's listening who wants to get involved in some way, maybe they're an educator or maybe they work for an agency or maybe they're thinking about foster care or mm-hmm. I can't foster, but I maybe I want to support a foster family. I want to do something. I want to mm-hmm. find my place. There's got to be a place for me along that river and I want in. What would you say to them? What are the top couple of things that you would say as kind of the first steps? Yeah, I would say find the next available opportunity you have to be in a room with other people that are asking the same questions and are exploring the same ideas. And you will be amazed. You'll be amazed at the diversity of people coming Mm -hmm. from different backgrounds, different professions, different perspectives, different socioeconomic places, um, different denominational places, even within the church world. The power that caring for the vulnerable in our cities has to um, break down social, religious, economic, you know, barriers Mm -hmm. and bring people into a room together is unbelievably beautiful. And if you've ever been in a room like that, you've, you've seen it. I often get to be in the room with church leaders in different cities around the country, and we make it a point to say, hey, Take a minute and look around the room and ask yourself, under what other circumstances would the diversity of church leadership from our city be in the same room at the same time in the same place? How beautiful is it that this particular issue has the ability to unite us? And you'll see there's other people out there like me that are thinking along these lines. I would also say that you'll also discover whether you're a church, organization, individual, business, educator, an accountant who is saying, I I don't know that I can bring children into my home right now or ever. And we'd say, that's totally fine. Because again, the river is bigger than just that. But you're thinking, I'm an accountant. What do I have to offer? You have so much to offer. You know, this this space needs your brain. And so what you'll find is all different expertises and backgrounds and, and the power of your contribution is exponentially multiplied, right. again, because of what we just said about collaboration, that I bring what little I bring to the table, mm-hmm. and it's matched with all the other little things that other people bring to the table, and collectively it's so much more together. Yeah. Um, and so oftentimes people see the big, big, big hard problem, and we just kind of made it like bigger and harder, like, hey, there's a foster care crisis. Oh, but also there's a whole bunch of other stuff around it. And they go, and we go, oh, Oh, well, thanks for that, right? But what what the Riverside Project does is it says, yeah, the problem is big and it's probably far bigger than we could ever even quantify. But when we come together, um, it, it doesn't make the problem smaller but it makes our contribution feel that much more significant and bigger because we're doing it together. We say as a staff, and we've said for, I guess, almost four years since we started, we are limited in in the amount of time we have. I have four kids. I don't know what I'm doing here half the time. Um, We're limited in terms of resources. We're Mm -hmm. limited in so many different ways. And yet there's that, the idea of bringing our basket, you know, with, in the gospels and Jesus fed the 5,000, yeah. right? He didn't ask them to feed the 5,000 alone. He said, 
just bring your basket. Mm -hmm. I know what's in it is limited and that's fine. Um, And so I think for every person out there, it's not fix all these issues or single-handedly be the person leading the charge, but bring your basket, bring Mm -hmm. the limited amount that you have to steward and he multiplies. And we've seen that before our very eyes over and over again. And you've done that. I think in your family, you see that multiplication happening, even though it's hard, even though you're limited and you don't have what it takes, it's still worth it. So absolutely. And for us to rest in the truth of what you've just shared, that what's the expectation on me? Is the expectation that I'm I'm able to fix everything and I'm an expert in this and and I swoop in and because of my involvement things have you know gotten better very quickly, um, or is the expectation that I'm willing to bring what I have and offer it up? and others bring what they have and offer it up and collectively together, somehow we're able to accomplish something that together that we otherwise would not ever have been able to do alone. And I think that's the expectation that should be a kind of a big sigh of relief. Okay, okay, that feels better, right? The whole problem isn't on my shoulders to fix. And it it also just kind of helps you fall asleep at night. Um, And when you're able to say, you know what, I end today exhausted, but fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll never forget, I, several years ago, I, I, I heard someone talking about being busy and this idea of, you know, in my mind, I always thought busy is a problem that I need to fix. And what he helped me understand is actually busy, busy doing the wrong things might be a problem. Busy doing the right things, man, what a life to live. That's great. And ex- busy doing the wrong things you end up exhausted at the end of the day and unfulfilled. Like, ugh, I just spent all day busy doing the right things. You end up exhausted at the end of the day, but fulfilled. Yeah. Gosh, what a life that I get to live. Let's go to sleep now and wake up tomorrow and do it all over again. I think that the power of being in collaboration and Mm -hmm. networked and in community with other people that that are pursuing that same kind of life is frankly exciting. That's the vision. Yeah. That's what we want to see happen. That's it. Absolutely. Well, thanks be- for being with us, Jason. Yeah. Um, this was really, really fun. Um, I hope that uh, you had a good time yeah, sharing great. with us. Love um, it. And yeah, thanks again. Awesome. To those listening, we hope these conversations have inspired you to find your place along the river. And we welcome you to join us in bringing hope and renewal to the city of Houston. If you'd like more information on how to get involved, please visit riversideproject.org and submit a contact form. We'll see you next time.